everyone, this is Kay here. If you recall, I deleted my audio file um, accidentally, of course, a couple weeks back for another episode in which we invited a guest over, and that was Sophia. Uh, we have another guest today, and we're going to talk about some spicy things, um, but believe it or not i deleted my audio file again um this was also done accidentally but it was such a pain again and very um unfortunate so again please forgive any of the splicing and choppy parts of the audio i hope you still enjoy the episode because we do talk about a lot of important things here now with that in mind i hope you enjoy Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Ace Podcast. This is V. I'm the co-host along with Kay, and today we have a very special guest. So yay! Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi guys, I'm E. I go to the same school as Kay and V now, but I lived in China for 11 years and California for two years, so I'm also an Asian American. Well, kind of Asian American, like I'm a permanent resident, not yet a Mm -hmm. citizen. That's so cool. Did you go to an international school in China? Yeah, I first went to a bilingual school. So I lived in China and California, like, back and forth. Like, it's a long story, but I attended bilingual (laughs) and international schools. Wow, we have a cosmopolitan (laughs) person here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so today we're going to be delving into more about our personal experiences growing up as Asian Americans and dealing with internalized racism. So I know, E, for you, you don't really consider yourself as an Asian American, or maybe you do, but you're pretty borderline about it. But I'm sure there are a lot of experiences where you've had to deal with internalized racism. So now with that in mind, let's define what internalized racism is first. Uh, v or E, do any of y'all want to take a stab at it? Uh, okay, I guess I shall go. So racism is like when you have one group that has the majority of the power in society and they use it to create stereotypes and harm those who are not in this sort of in-group. But when it's internalized, um, that means that like Usually it refers to people who are part of the minority group who have internalized some of them, who have absorbed, I shouldn't use the same word in defining it, who have absorbed some of these messages and believe they are true and also use those harmful messages that uh, against other members of the sort of minority group. Yeah, and I think a lot of times it can be unintentional, but it has like a lot of negative effects on people. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's just perceived as truth or like that's just the way it is. Um, I think that a lot of times it's, there's more of it among the older generation, but it's definitely something that is spread by just people who aren't aware. Yeah, definitely. And I think it can get like really dangerous in a way um because for me i think internalized racism has come up in a lot of parts where they're or especially in adolescence when like kids don't really know what's going on and they act insensitive without doing so and so like some of these stereotypes have been ingrained in our minds and Mm -hmm. because of that we um propagate them or they are churned out in later parts of our lives that negatively affect as we said or hurt Mm -hmm. ourselves our own like self-confidence and self-image as well as others Mm -hmm. yeah sometimes it manifests in more insidious ways that are harder to tell harder to tell and in other ways it's a bit more obvious Uh, I guess I can dive right into one of those examples. For me, something that has affected me a lot has been beauty standards, Um, especially as they relate to kind of 
wanting to look more like the ideal European symmetrical face. Um, so it's like light skin, having lighter hair, having lighter eyes, having your body look a certain way, so on and so forth. Um, what about you guys? Thoughts? Yeah, this is something that I struggle with a lot too. Like I really want to dye my hair lighter, but um, like my parents won't let me, but I feel like it's just Eurocentric beauty standards because like most East, or yeah, most Asians like our natural hair is black and also mm-hmm. with um like double eyelids like I think that's something that's really prevalent in Asian cultures like I've seen that a lot when I lived in China like I saw a bunch of people getting double eyelid surgery who were like in their teens and I feel like it's um the Eurocentric beauty standards like really harmful and like yeah wait girl this stuff oh sorry um the stuff about dyeing your hair, though, I feel that so much because I kind of want to dye mine an ombre color so that it, like, yeah, fades to black at the end. Yeah, and then balayage. <laughs> and my mom won't let me either. What's a balayage? It's like an ombre. I think it's kind of... Yeah, it's, like, gotcha. naturally, I think. So, like, when it grows out, it blends mm-hmm. in more, I think. But, yeah, Ooh. on the topic of, yes. like... Um, beauty standards. I remember being in my health class, and in eighth grade, we were told to be in our groups and like come up with a bunch of beauty standards. It's like a pretty <laughs> trivial slash mundane activity, and I was sitting with a bunch of white kids, and like. I brought up, like, people were saying long hair, long eyelashes, big round eyes, like, a skinny figure, whatever, and I was, like, double eyelids, and, like, no one knew what that meant. They were, like, huh, what do you mean? And so I had to, like, explain that to them, um, which I thought was really interesting, but also, like, kind of on the flip side in Asia, I feel like, um, it's more like it's pretty universal across like both genders about double eyelids for example or actually i've i noticed that like double eyelids are more stressed among like girls and younger girls rather than like asian guys Mm. that's so interesting i the way that i saw it was that it was it was guys who never understood the concept and that girls did understand the concept of like different eyes um so maybe maybe this is like oops sorry maybe this is one of those things that kind of intersects across gender and race i'm just wondering though for these these white people in your health class if like the notion of a double eyelid is so ingrained and so normalized wouldn't they be attuned or like wouldn't they be able to notice when something is not in accordance with the norm yeah so i think this is interesting because like the way i saw it it was that they already fit in the standards so being in that position they were unable unable and unaware Uh of all the things outside of like what they were used to and i think they just weren't aware Uh that people have monolids in general you know not just asians yeah i saw um a youtube video where it said that monolids like aren't just limited to asians but it's what's the most common i guess and about um the not noticing like double eyelids i think that they can, like, tell that, like, some people's eye shapes are different, but they just don't know what it's called, like, the specific term. Mm, yeah, that's, like, really interesting. Um, yeah, I know that. <laughs> My, I used to have, like, one eyelid that was mono, that was a monolid, and one eyelid that was, like, a double eyelid. <laughs> yeah, um, and then my mom would always, like, try to get me to just like rub my eye in such a way that it would look more double eyelid 
when I asked her why, she her response was that it wasn't about like looking more white or looking more western it was just that it would make my eyes bigger and eyes are you know like bright windows to the soul or whatever and that making getting double eyelids would make you look more alive (laughs) yeah that's that's really funny and very interesting um what other ways do we think that like beauty standards have come up as internalized racism in the Asian community. It doesn't have to be just East Mm -hmm. Asia. And hmm, I guess another example of that could be like skin lightening, skin whitening, that a lot of Asian people, especially tan people, they go through like they go through skin whitening creams to make themselves look lighter. And obviously one aspect of that could be trying to look more white, but like in, I don't know what to call it, old Asia, the olden times of antiquity, looking pale was also considered a standard of beauty. So it kind of begs the question, is it about assimilating into Western standards of beauty or Asian ones? Yeah, I really like, I'm really curious how this whole like Eurocentric beauty standards thing like originated because I feel like for East Asian countries, like where double eyelid surgery is more common like they weren't the colonized wait they were the colonizers like western countries didn't really colonize them so Mm -hmm. like i wonder where they got the idea that like big eyes were attractive wait did e say e did you say countries that were heavily colonized or countries that weren't heavily colonized i think weren't because yeah i feel Mm. like most of the time like China, for example, kind of had, like, an isolationist, like, attitude, and they thought that they were superior. Well, this is, like, too much history. (laughs) No, it's, I mean, history is the reason why we have the present. So, yeah, let's analyze history. Wait, I kind of, like, disagree a bit, because I think that um, European countries have always stuck their foot in Asia. And just, like, every... Every, like, non-white community slash country in the world. Um, Like, you have, for example, the massacre of Nanjing. Um, I'm sorry for the butchered pronunciation. But that was definitely done by um, Western military operations in China. Um, As well as, like, the spheres of influence i think that they're called like they've always and like the opioid war there have always been like western influences in asia even in china and of course the other smaller countries like the philippines vietnam korea the list goes on and i think like that's how it just became more prominent because like they were so powerful and um like they really colonized the heck out of these countries and really stole a lot of Mm. like the beauty in in them Mm. you know perhaps the problem is beauty standards period and that other specific forms of it are just like just like all of them are bad if you like some of it okay this sounds like a little weird uh, but i feel like some of it is biological you know like we have like a certain biological tendency to look at beauty standards and like feel attracted to certain people Um, can you elaborate yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no so i saw this like ted talks no ted ed education video about like biology and like why we are attracted to certain things why society is attracted to certain things for example like clear skin um is like youth um a sign of youth long hair is a sign of youth and fertility and like um something like for um like cis men deeper voices are more are considered more attractive because it shows that 
they're able to be like more stronger or like protective i think well um higher octave voices are preferred in in cis women um things of that sort and i don't oh yeah that's true yeah so i don't think like i agree with the concept like entirely but i think there is like a certain component of like (laughs) biology in the way we set up beauty standards in the first place like the reason why we have them that's interesting i think there's definitely a layer that's biological so the things that you mentioned how we probably prefer symmetry but there are also a bunch of beauty standards that are that just don't make sense right um like skin whitening um in china um a couple hundred years ago they had this thing of binding women's feet until they're just like four inches long um because it made them seem dainty or whatever like no abolish that (laughs) yeah i think i kind of know maybe the origin of skin widening being um, attractive because like um in or people who work or do labor type jobs like uh-huh. they would be in the sun a lot and so their skin would get darker and they're usually like the poor people but the rich people they can stay inside i think that might be part of it i'm not sure and quite honestly radiation from the sun is pretty bad so maybe having some kind of hmm Okay, never mind. I was about to say that, like, maybe it's good to look paler because you don't get sun radiation. But then when you try to artificially whiten your skin, obviously that causes a lot of bad things to your face. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a difference between, like, looking pale and then protecting your skin. Okay, so um, with that in mind... Shall we shift to a, another form of internalized racism? Let's talk about a next form of internalized internalized racism or stereotyping. So our relationship with Asian cuisine as Asian Americans is definitely interesting living in a majority white neighborhood. So would one of you two like to start? If not, I can go too. So, I feel like I've personally struggled with internalized racism a lot. And I think, like, for food, sometimes I, like, think that other, like, races, other, like, cuisines of other races are better. Like, Italian food or something. Like, I don't really... I mean... I don't know. Wait, let me think interesting yeah i can go i can go next in the meantime interesting because i had kind of the opposite experience my mom has been a huge influencer influence in this uh but i kind of like solely eat asian cuisine at home and it's my favorite well i just like food in general so i just eat a lot of it and my mom's always like italian food is too filling and this food is bland and this food is always too salty so on and so forth so insofar as my relationship with chinese food goes i love it and i eat it a lot the internalized racism part comes more about the way that we act around food when we're in public yeah um i think i definitely agree with v in that in my household our perspective on food has been very healthy and um, just like very welcoming. Um, Cause like there are certain times when we do like crave other cuisines. Yeah. And um, like for my family, because we're such big foodies, we love getting takeout. We love like trying other different types of cuisine and things of that sort but of course asian cuisine and especially like korean cuisine is something that we still love to eat um but i think it's been interesting on my end on how we how we like 
mix and also amalgamate different types of cuisine in our family but kind of like on the topic of internalized racism of course i think it really manifested itself in Mm -hmm. school like people would you know if we if i brought like a certain asian snack like shrimp chips or something like all the other kids will look at it and discuss and be like what's that you know yeah 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 and like um like i don't know about you guys but my elementary school had this huge like lunchable phase which like looks not so great but i like wanted it so much you know what i mean like back then lunchables (laughs) yeah were were the thing um and i kind of like turned away from my own food in, in that sense period i had a similar i remember in third grade my school had the lunchables phase too but my in retrospect children are so dumb because lunchables taste bad um in my in my opinion but yeah with the glorification stuff that's kind of a two-way street because now everyone's like yeah i love takeout chinese food yeah i love sushi and um yeah i see that so much on tiktok Mm. do you want to elaborate on the tiktok experience (laughs) sure so um there are well, like, a lot of really trendy restaurants are related, wait, like, sell or serve seafood and, like, sushi, and that's, like, well, sushi is Japanese, obviously, and I just feel like before, or at least, like, a couple years ago when I was growing up, like, it wasn't really... A thing like sushi was seen as kind of weird but Mm -hmm. now it's like um something that's really popular and like trendy and cool to eat Mm -hmm. that's just my take i guess there's a part of it that does seem hypocritical especially compared to what we experienced growing up but maybe there's an aspect that's also positive because instead of being so consumed by their initial judgment people are opening up to to food (laughs) and yeah what's not to like about food Mm, very true i personally never had the school lunchbox experience um but hey okay that's yeah (laughs) i've always like bought lunch at school like i remember like i bought it at school so i didn't bring lunch like i remember bringing the lunch once in fourth grade and it was pasta oh well well um but yeah um i feel like the internalized racism part for me comes more about with how my parents relate to dining um in public so at restaurants in china waiters are like clearly inferior you're supposed to boss them around and be like hey do this get me water so on and so forth um you don't say thank you when they put food down on the table but america is a very different culture and like you say thank you can i please have this um you're very polite and all right but my parents just, like, kind of go in. They just, like, boss around the waiter. And they're, like, the I don't know, just, like, the way that they speak, which is very disjointed and not proper English, always made me kind of cringe. Oh, yeah, I definitely, like, agree to, like, what with what you're saying because I think there are, like, a lot of, like, cultural yes. barriers slash, like, language barriers that come with learning a new language and especially for my family I remember feeling a certain type of adversity against my parents because I would think oh I mean they've immigrated here and lived for like 15 17 years and like still they're like things that they cannot completely grasp um, in English which of course that mindset 
isn't as ingrained in me as it was back then but it like still stings mm -hmm. in some moments i guess and i think kind of on v's point with like the tone of language like my parents or just korean in general is like very sarcastic in some ways like there are a lot of like pointed or angular phrases that aren't supposed to be mean um or taken as such but i always because i'm such a sensitive person myself i would always take them in the wrong way and we would start a lot of fights because of those like differences <laughs> um in language and in culture and i think that really affected me because i still haven't made peace with that i still don't know the nuances that differentiate korean and english and all those like subtle tones I and mean, of course vice versa my parents would misinterpret my english as well and more my sarcasm yeah for me i only speak to my parents in chinese because my parents like they're not fluent in english and like when i first moved to the u.s in fourth grade like i remember my mom like taking me to places like at&t and clocks because I had to translate to get like Wi-Fi and stuff, and that's something that I still do now. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, that means you're very ready for the real world. <laughs> I still don't know what I'm doing though. It's like so I don't know confusing. how to go to AT and T. You're miles ahead in adulting. <laughs> but yeah, I relate a lot to the, not the AT and T bit. The part about this language barrier um i remember my mom's not fluent but she's very smart and she does her best in learning english but she's not good with pronunciation and she mispronounces a lot of words and so like since a lot of these words aren't words that you usually throw around with friends um i just learned the mispronunciation right and then in class like in bio class i remember saying caterpillars <laughs> Or like um, capillaries instead of capillaries. And then everyone was like, <laughs> and I was always like, huh? So I guess that's a very mild form of it. Um, but yeah, it, like those are some tangible examples. Um, on a guys... more... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, you go. Do you guys speak your mother language like fluently or can read and understand it and yeah Ooh. so i spoke it really well in middle school because i went to school in china in sixth grade and then i took ap chinese in ninth grade so i studied really hard and i spoke chinese every day and i like watched c dramas um it's deteriorated a bit i can speak it i can converse but i'm like so bad at writing it because chinese is just hard to write yeah, I think on the flip yeah. side for me, um, the Korean is like, the Korean language uses an alphabet, so I'm like pretty okay with writing it, although my handwriting isn't the best and I can't spell certain things, but yeah, I can't, I'm like semi-fluent, but I'm like definitely not the best at Korean, like I can hold a very simple conversation. Um, but that's basically mm -hmm. yeah yeah what for about me, you? um i think like in conversations i understand most of what people are saying but i can't read or write at all which is like really sad because i literally lived in china for 11 years of my life i i think that like i used to like a couple years ago I used to, like, kind of take pride in the fact that, like, I forgot, like, a lot of my Chinese. I thought that that made me, like, cooler. I don't even oh, know. Honey. It was so oh, sad. No. Yeah. 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 I know that hmm, maybe, like, a more personal example for me is that my <laughs> my boyfriend's grandparents were, like, Indi like they were they spoke hin like the language and everything but um their son so 
his dad just grew up in America and basically never learned the language. Uh, no, it's, it wasn't Hindi. It was probably some, like, other language in India. I don't think it was Hindi, but... Um, yeah, I just didn't never learn the language, and now he's just, like, completely disconnected. So in two generations, the language is completely gone from the family, which is quite scary. But I guess the good part for E is that since you learned it in childhood, you can still pick it up again, because it's still, like, somewhere in the back of your brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, the stuff that Kay said, I think, earlier about, like, how bad relationships form between children and their parents, um, is definitely very tangible, especially with, like, added pressures of, you know, trying to be the model minority and to be, like, your ideal, your ideal Asian kid. Um, so I think that, like, that's one of the reasons why there's just so much conflict in these households that I don't see with a lot of white white friends. Yeah, I know. I totally mm-hmm. agree. Like, I think the relationship that immigrant parents develop th- with their children is one that is in, like very unique to us. And something that... It's like a very rare and or it's it's not rare but it's a unique experience that only like mm-hmm. second generation kids would under or first generation kids would understand because to be in such a position where you have to face like direct mm-hmm. challenges or you have to directly face challenges that relate to these barriers it's so present in every single interaction that you have with your youth (laughs) yeah your parents your relatives and whatnot and I think also with that comes um this realization between how your friends react and have these relationships with their parents and how they differ from yours so i think in that sense it's really hard for a lot of these kids and for me too as well to grow up in this kind of climate like i definitely remember being really jealous of my friends whose parents know how to speak english like a native speaker like there are so many times when i wish that i didn't have to deal with doing these like really frivolous tasks like translating and like writing an email for my mom or looking over some kind of document or progress report from my dad at his workplace you know things like that um i think really bugged me back then um i'm kind of over it now though although it still affects me a little bit you know that was powerful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that perhaps there's some part, like, it's understandable that you felt that in your adolescence. Because, like, kids, man, <laughs> kids and teenagers. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, it is pretty cumbersome for anybody to constantly have to do so much translation. But, hmm, for me, I felt that, like, when my family was inadequate, I would always feel, I would always feel fulfilled with my friends instead. Um, and the funny thing is that most of my, pretty much all of my friends are Asian, (laughs) at least with my close friends. Um, and they are Asian American, they have that culture behind them, but there was never that sense of disconnect. Um, like, in that they had a similar experience caught between two cultures, just as, like, our parents do, because they are technically still caught between two cultures, but the way that they perceived it as second generation, um, i.e. they could relate to my experiences of cringing at parents or struggling with food or beauty standards, whatever, was 
um, more relatable, and the fact that they were fluent in English made it easier. Guess, oh, you know. yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do you, uh, what are your friend groups like in terms of culture and race? So for me, my best friend is Weijing, but my, my, uh, well, my other friends, like, they're majority white, but I also have friends who are, like, people of color or, or including Asians. Mm-hmm. So would you say, like, you have a pretty diverse group of friends? Yeah, I would say that. Ooh, interesting. Okay, what about you? Squad. <laughs> um, but yeah, for wait for E. I've a, I've a question. So like, yeah. um, when you like when you're friends with your, when you're hanging out with your white friends. Um, and there's maybe some kind of disconnect in culture. How do you guys usually react to that? Can you... Mm, well, okay, yeah, that was vague. But, like, maybe they're Jewish and they're talking about, like, oh, so-and-so celebrations and Jewish festivities. And then you're, like, or another situation where you're talking about some Asian food and they're, like, what's that? Oh, yeah, um, so it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't really happen a lot. Like, we don't really talk about the things that are, like, unique to us that much. But I don't really, like, mind it. Like, I think it's okay, like, to learn about other mm-hmm. people's cultures and to, like, like, um, tell people about my culture. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, but also, okay, I feel like I'm kind of interrogating you here, but it is distinct from my lived experience. Does the, like, conversation topic between you and POC friends versus you and white friends, is there, like, do you guys talk about mostly the same things, pretty much all the same things? Yeah, well, um... Well, because they're, like, different people, so we talk about, like, I talk about different things with them, like, but I think for, with my best friend, like, we talk about race, like, a lot more, like, um, Uh a conversation that we have, like, literally every month is how we wish that we were white, which is really sad, but, like, I wouldn't talk about something like this with my friends who were white. Mm. From elementary school, I was always friends with other Asian kids and acquaintances with others. Um, Well, no, towards like the beginning, early elementary school, I was friends with, okay, I was friends with a bunch of white boys, (laughs) but um, yeah, I have not talked to them in 10 years, 10 plus years. Um, But yeah, my friend group has basically remained the same. Um, Conversations were quite vapid in elementary school because children just do not have brain fu- the the brain capacity um <laughs> in high school i think they've pretty much just like yeah it's pretty much stayed the same like substitute one asian person for another grow the asian circle but it hasn't really changed in terms of the people in terms of the uh, ethnicity of the people that much yeah um, for me um from when I was born until third grade and I lived in China my school was like 95 percent Chinese so like mm-hmm. all my friends were Asian is obviously right. um when I moved to California in fourth and fifth grade my best friend was white and I think my other friends were also white but I think it was also um a predominantly white, like, neighborhood, so that was, like, natural, and when I moved back to China, like, I attended an international school that was also majority white, 
So most of my friends were also white, but when I moved back to California again in seventh grade, my friends were like, I had more Asian friends. Like my first like friend group was all Asian, but then I like diversified, I guess. And like I um, made like new friends, but mm. in Scarsdale, it's like, pretty even in terms of race so e how do you think like growing up in these different schools also like moving a lot have affected your way of like making friends or um yeah like things of that sort like meeting new people and interacting with people just socialization in general do you think has grown or not things like that um so I remember, like, in seventh grade when I was completely new, like, um, I didn't know anyone. I, like, gravitated towards Asians because that was what I was, like, familiar with. But, like, for making friends in general, like, I don't really, like, race isn't really, like, a factor. I just, like, want to be friends with someone based off of, like, other qualities, like, not race-related. Okay, wait, last question. So when I'm with, like, Asian friends, I'll often make jokes like, ugh, white people. Or I'll, like, if, if, if one of my friends, uh, like, calls another friend by the wrong name and they're, like, both Asian, sometimes jokingly I'll call them racist because they're, like, all Asian because it's, like, feeding into the stereotype of all Asians look alike. Um, And I just make those kind of jokes with my Asian friends. So I was wondering if you do that with all of your friends. Um, I think I rarely do that, like, even with my Asian friends. Wait, let me think. I think, like, in general, I don't do that a lot, but I don't do it, like, at all with my friends who are white. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it makes sense, like, you probably don't want to bring those things, like, directly with your white friends. Uh, Looking at the time, do you want to end the episode now, or? Um, I think E said she wanted to talk about entertainment, so maybe we should talk about that and then come to a closing. Yeah, that sounds good, E. Yeah, we could do that. Okay, so moving on to a topic of Eve's personal esteemed selection, entertainment. Would you like to start us off? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So um, I use TikTok a lot, and (laughs) I feel like, or at least like for me personally, like I've never watched like anime or um, listened to K-pop. Because, I don't know if it's because I have, like, no interest in it. Well, I don't have, like, an interest in it. But I don't know if my disinterest is from, like, me trying to be, like, as, like, I guess, away as possible. Or because I'm just, like... Wait. I was going to say if I'm, like, actually not interested. But I don't think that makes sense. Like, I've just personally um, never even, I guess, like, tried to watch stuff like Asian shows until like literally like a week ago like I started I watched my first k-drama what k-drama I watched Sky Castle yeah it was so good yeah I really like it (laughs) so you're saying that you haven't like seeked either of the two out in any way up to this point including when you were living in China Hmm. In terms of American media, I don't know. It just seems like whatever. <laughs> like it, mm-hmm. it is there. Some of it is good. Some of it is bad. Which is kind of like. That's just media in general, right? It, the trend that I have seen in, at least K-pop and like current, popular trends there is that they seem to be very focused on making their idols and actors and actresses look very like cute and youthful whereas those here are very hmm libidinal oh wait what do you mean 
<laughs> what do you mean by that, V? Um, but other than that, I'm like drawn. Well, there's a bunch of genres that I like that span American and Asian media, and I just search. And I at this point, I've kind of reconciled the two, and I just seek whatever satisfies that genre out of both of them. But when I was younger, I was like, wait, this is like anime is completely new territory that I haven't explored, and like, wow, so I'm gonna watch all of it. Um, I kind of had a different experience. So, like I mentioned before, I never like watched anime, and like even when I lived in China, the only like media that I saw was like Americanized, or it was like American or Western. So, I don't really know like what the like Asian like media is like. Wait, can you explain? So you like watched The Office when you were in China? Well, I didn't watch, like, The Office, but, like, I watched, like, American shows, like, Phineas and Ferb and stuff like that. Because this is when I was younger. Oh, got you. So you didn't watch, like, Xi Yang Yang or Dora Oh, wait, I've seen that on TV, but I never, like, intentionally, like, seeked it out, I guess. Mm, that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I think this brings up an inter- interesting topic though about like american media because i think american media has been like so ingrained in all societies all over the world like even in european countries you see you see like american actors who have to go through a whole process of like finding a dialect coach and even with a dialect coach they can't do a British accent for their life even if their life depended on it but you have like a lot of British actors and just like other actors from other countries who are able to do the American accent so well without even studying it aggressively and I think it's all due to the fact that American media is so widespread and like so emphasized um, in these yeah, places. I feel like America is like the default country, if that makes sense. Exceptionalism. No, yeah, definitely. But I feel like lately there's been a growing interest in K-dramas, K-pop, anime, C-pop? No, not really. But yeah, into this Hallyu wave. Including like, at least on TikTok, I've seen a lot of white kids and black kids um, also being very into anime and K-pop. <laughs> yeah, I feel like TikTok has really, like, um, changed a lot of things, like, for internalized racism, I guess, and also exposure to, like, Asian media, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, because I feel like with, like, the rise of K-pop and such, especially with, like, BTS, um, a lot more people are accommodating of like foreign mm. media. To that end, I do think that there's a part of American media that like very much fetishizes the music and pop industries and film industries overseas, but like their understanding of it, it's very superficial. It's either, oh, they're amazing and they're good at everything and it's so better, so much better than American media, or it's like they are exploiting their workers and I will never watch it. No, yeah, it's so, like, um, you can see how American media is almost... They're not repulsed, but they push away foreign media so heavily. It's so centralized on America and America of an, in of itself. And they only take the good parts of Asian media or the parts that align with their own values, which include all these negative and terrible stereotypes. Um, you know, I definitely agree with, like, the whole concept of, like, fetishization and such. It almost feels like a gentrification of Asians, um, in a way. Wait, what do you mean by gentrification? Yeah, um, 
so because isn't that like related to like houses and stuff like that's what i thought it meant yeah no you're certainly right it was originally used um in the context of like the division between black communities and white suburbia um if i just look up the official definition on google it's the process whereby the character of a poor urban area is changed by wealthier people moving in, improving housing, and attracting new businesses, typically displacing current inhabitants in the process. Um, also, a sub-definition is the process of making someone or something more refined, polite, or respectable. So yeah, in that sense, I feel like Americans have only taken bits and pieces of Asian media or like of Asian culture that is suitable to them and them only, um, thereby removing other parts of Asian culture that they don't like. For example, like this, I saw this TikTok video where this woman literally traveled to like an Asian country to marry this Asian man because she was obsessed with like Pinterest photos of like biracial Asian kids. I like that usage of gentrification. Thank you. I think that's pedophilia. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I can, I guess I can see it. Like That's so strange. TikTok, it, it is what it is. I mean, it has good parts, but also, hmm. I have complicated feelings about TikTok, but I guess we can talk about that in another episode. Any final thoughts? Um, I think I'm good. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as well. And catch you next time. All right, bye. Bye.